the uh, fourth part of a five-part series called Right in the Eye, and uh, next week is the exciting final episode, and I know it's going to be hard for you to believe, but it actually dovetails into Christmas, so how do you get from the book of Judges to Christmas? Uh, leave that to the professionals, but uh, you won't want to uh, miss next week. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, all of these are online, so if you uh, fall asleep in the middle and you wake up and you're like, oh, what, what did he say? You can go back, listen to the podcast, uh, go to our website as well. Now, if you haven't been here, I'm going to catch you up in just a minute, but before we jump into the, the sermon part, I kind of want to pose a question for you. And this is a really good question, and it's, the question is this, it's like, what kind of person do you want to be? Now, we don't usually have time to think about stuff like that because we're busy, but we got a few moments here. So I just kind of want you to, to think about that. What kind of person do you want to be? Like, like w- when people talk about you behind your back, your friends talk about you, and they do, right? You know, you leave, and they're like, oh, yeah, so-and-so. Now, or like you go home for the holidays, and, you know, like you're, you're heading out, and they're waving goodbye. The rest of the family still at the kitchen table. Or, you know, they talk about you. So what do you want them to say? Like, what kind of person do you want them to be? And here's the interesting thing, because you have no control over what happens to you, and, and I have no control over what happens to me, but we do have control over how we respond to what happens to us. And that kind of determines what kind of person you are. So what kind of person do you want to be? And what if you decided to be an extraordinary person? Now, when I say extraordinary, I don't mean extraordinary at something. You may be extraordinary at something. But here's the thing. We all know people who are extraordinary at something, but they're not extraordinary people. You know, like, like they're so good at something, you know, they're just kind of cocky and just kind of arrogant. And they're all about themselves. And, and you'd be like, okay, yeah, you're extraordinary at something, but you're not an extraordinary person. Uh, but uh, what if you decided, and what if I decided that we were going to be extraordinary? You're going to be an extraordinary employee or an extraordinary student or extraordinary you know, husband, like your wife's just like, oh, I feel like I hit the jackpot. My husband, he's so extraordinary. Or extraordinary wife, I've got an extraordinary wife. And an extraordinary son or daughter, like, you know, it's like, oh man, when I was their age. But they're just so extraordinary. Or an extraordinary friend or, or whatever uh, role that is. Like, what if you decided you're just going to be extraordinary? And you could do that. What if you just did it for a week? Right? You know, like, in fact, that's my challenge to you. What if for a week, not, not your whole life because that's too big, but what if just for a week, like every time you made a decision or every time you were tempted or, or every time like you, you uh, pulled out your wallet to get out your credit card or your checkbook or whatever, uh, like every time you were asked to do something by your boss or your parents, what if every time, every single juncture, like you were just to ask that question, what would an extraordinary person do? Imagine that for just like one week now. What if you asked that question? What would an extraordinary person do? What if, what if everybody that you came in contact with was that way? Right? Like all, all the people at work, all the people at school, like all the other students, everybody you worked with or for, or everybody that lived in the same household as you. What if for a whole week, every time, like everybody you interacted with, you know, they, they just decided, like, hey, every time I have to make a decision about anything, I'm going to ask the question, what would an extraordinary person do? Wouldn't that be amazing? And you can do that. Like, you can try it. You should do it. Um, you only get to live life once, right? Most of us like, yeah, one time. So why not make it extraordinary? 
Now, if you're a Christian, you know, you're a follower of Jesus and you take the teachings of Jesus seriously, then you've got to live an extraordinary life. Um, and here's why. Because if you're a Christian, you believe that there's a personal God. And He has a personal plan for your life. And God knows your name and He loved you so much that He sent His Son into the world to pay for your sins and, and God has a relationship with you. And if you're a Christian, here's what you believe. You, you believe time is linear and what God started, He's going to finish and, and uh, history is actually going somewhere. And that everything that happens ultimately happens for the glory of God and you have been invited to participate. And you believe that every single day matters. And you believe that one day you'll be held accountable and you're going to stand before your Heavenly Father and you'll be able to present your life and just be like, look how I did. And you believe that every second matters and that you matter and your opportunities matter. And here's what else you believe. You believe that every person, every single person you're ever eyeball to eyeball with was made in the image of God and deserves to be treated as somebody that was made in the image of God and deserves to be treated by you in an extraordinary way. That's what you believe. So if you're a Christian, you don't really have an option. You ought to wake up every day. And I ought to wake up every day. And every time we make a decision to ask the question, okay, I know what I would normally do, and I know how I would normally parent, and I know how I would normally respond, and I know how I would normally deal with money, and I know how I would normally respond to temptation, and I know how I would normally, but what would an extraordinary version of me do? What would I do if I embraced and remembered that God is God and I've been invited into the story of God for this moment in history to honor God with my life and my body and my time? So if you're a Christian, you've got to do this because of what you already believe. Now, that tension that I just kind of created between like if there's a God who knows my name you know, and he's a personal God, then I have a responsibility to do something. Uh, if you felt that kind of tension, here's the deal. That's the exact tension we find as we study the book of Judges. And if you haven't been with us, Judges is this Old Testament document. Uh, it's a book that records the history of the nation of Israel from the time they got into the promised land until the time of the establishment of the monarchy under King Saul and King David. So for about 300 years, there's no king. It was a theocracy. So the idea was God was the king and uh, he had given them his law and there was a series of judges who would administer the law. But the problem was this. See, God created Israel from scratch to reflect His glory. That, that was their whole point. Uh, that They were supposed to be different. And God was going to bless them. Uh, and so the surrounding nations would look at Israel and would be like, dude, who is your God? Like, like we want your God to be our God because like, your God keeps beating our God any day, you know, and, and your crops are growing and you guys keep winning and, and just like, look at you, you guys are so blessed. What's up with that? And the nation was supposed to respond, well, our God is the one true living God. And so the nation of Israel was to reflect the glory of God. To use Bible terms, like they were to be a light to the Gentiles. We're Gentiles. If you're not Jewish, we're, you're Gentile. We're supposed to look at Israel and go like, whoa, they got it going on. Like, tell us about your God. That was the whole point of Israel. They had this destiny, and God was involved, and He blessed them, and His Spirit inhabited the nation. But when they got to the Promised Land, they did exactly what most of us do. Instead of looking up, they began to look around and be like, oh, I kind of want to do that, and I, I want that, and 
You know, I want some of that. And God's going like, no, 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 no. See, if you do that, you're going to dilute your influence and you're going to become just like all the other nations. And the nation of Israel is like, well, see ya, don't want to be ya, because, you know, like, we want to be like them. We, we, they started building idols and, and worshiping the Canaanite gods and all the pagan gods. And every time they would disobey God, God would discipline discipline them so in the book of judges there's there's this uh cycle that israel keeps going through over and over of disaster of disobedience disaster and deliverance disobedience disaster deliverance they disobey god god says okay yeah gotta punish you because i'm a good good dad and they would face disaster and they get tired of the disaster and they cry out and be like oh god oh god oh god please forgive us and god would say okay well have you learned your lesson and they're like oh yeah yeah we learned our lesson we're never ever gonna do that again And then God would bless them. Then they would disobey and there would be disaster and deliverance over and over and over in the book of Judges. And so throughout this like 300 years or so, God would would raise up judges to deliver the people. And one of the judges was named Gideon. Now, last week we looked at Samson. He was a, a different judge. Not a great story, but lots of takeaways. Gideon was actually a good judge. And I want to tell you a little bit of his story. Not his whole story, because I want you to read it for yourself in the book of Judges. But I want to tell you the story of Gideon. And and here's why it's an important story. Because Gideon, like some of us, believed in God, but he became an ordinary person. And he began to believe about himself, and he began to believe about his world, what himself and his world told him about himself in his world. In this fascinating story, God shows up and kind of shakes Gideon. He's like, What are you doing? What are you doing? How did you become so ordinary? How is it you forgot your destiny? And how is it you forgot the Spirit of God rests on this land and on these people? Like, wake up! I want you to start acting like a Gideon who believes he can do extraordinary things. Not because of some positive mental attitude or just to kind of reach your full potential, but because the God of creation rests on you and on these people. So here's how the story goes. I'm going to give you a little context and then we'll jump right in. Judges chapter 6. It says that the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Now the Midianites were kind of like distant, distant cousins of the Israelites. And they had this feud going on for many, many, many years. And at this particular time in history, the Midianites had the upper hand. And because the power of Midian was so oppressive... The Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. So the people of Israel couldn't even be in their own cities. The the Midianites invaded all their major cities. The Israelites had to flee to the hills. Because whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. In fact, it says that they camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. And Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to Yahweh for help. They disobeyed God, and so for seven years, God lets the Midianites kind of trample all over them. And finally, uh, they throw away their pagan Midianite gods. They were actually worshiping the same gods as the Midianites, and we talked about that, you know, you copy something and then you end up being captured by it. That's what happened to the nation. So finally, after seven years of just famine and being impoverished and everything getting taken away, the nation calls out to God 
to bail them out. Right? The same God that had given them all the rules, they have to call him and be like, God, can you help us? Now here's the cool thing, and if you don't hear anything else I say, you know, like this is so cool. When the nation rebelled against God, and when, then when the nation repented and turned back to God, guess what God did? He turned back to the nation. In fact, that's what God does with all of us. Because God's a God of mercy. Now, he is so merciful, he does not shield us from the consequences of our dumb decisions. Because by not shielding us, we face full on the consequences of our dumb decisions in the hopes that we will never ever make those decisions again. And then God will invade our lives and restore us and forgive us. And that's what God does. And you go, well, like, how, how many times? Like, how, how many rounds do I get to go with God? As many rounds as you need because God's mercy never, ever, ever runs out. But he loves you too much not to let you face sometimes full on the brunt of the consequences. So the nation of Israel is like, well, we've had it. We repent, you know, would you do something for us? And that's where we meet Gideon, okay? So here's how the story of Gideon begins, verse 11. It says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So threshing wheat is something you do at ground level. Uh, where there's wind, because the idea is like you, you throw it up and the wind kind of blows off the chaff and the good parts of the wheat uh, fall back down to the ground. So you need to be someplace outside. Well, they're so afraid of the Midianites and Gideon is such a coward, along with the other Israelites who are trying to preserve, you know, what little bit they had. He's in a wine press, which means he's like either in a hole or in a barn or in some deep valley somewhere where he can't be seen. But he's in the wrong place because he's scared to death the Midianites will see somebody actually threshing wheat and uh, show up and steal the wheat. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, the Lord said, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, what you talking about, Willis? Like, what? You know, like, uh, too old a reference for y'all? Okay, yeah, like, like, you talking to me? Like, you talking to me? Because, like, I'm hiding, come on. Come on, I'm a hiding. Like, do you, do you not know? Everybody from this era knows, like, you don't thresh wheat in a wine press. Like, you got to be up on the wind. I'm hiding. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And before we continue, this is important because this is where some of you are. You've lost sight of who you are. You've lost sight of what God wants to do in your life. You've forgotten the, the God of your childhood and, and all the last nights at camp where you'd rededicate your life and you've forgotten all the answered prayer and you've forgotten like how good God has been and you're in a place now where you become like everyone and everything around you. And there's a battle going on in your heart and God shows up and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And you're like, do you know where I was last night? Do you, do you, have you been paying attention to my life? Like, like, do you know how long it's been since I've cracked open a Bible and how long it's been since I've prayed? Do you know how far away I've drifted? The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And so Gideon says like exactly what we think. He says, well, pardon me, my Lord. And he's always so polite. I love this. Pardon me, my Lord. Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? This is a great question because we've all asked this question in our own way. It's like, okay, God, God, like, if you're good, why the bad? 
right? God, if you're for me, why is the world against me? You know, like, why the, the problems, the health problems and the relationship problems and the money problems and all of the things? Like, if you're good, God, then why the bad? And here's some great news, because if you've ever asked this question or any version of this question, Gideon asked it 3,300 years ago. It's in the very text of Scripture. And God is not offended by this question. And as we'll see, like it's often this question that leads us back into a relationship with our Heavenly Father. When Gideon keeps going, he's like, hey, where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, hey, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? Like, I've heard all the stories. You know, grandpa and great-grandpa and great-great-great-grandpa telling us, oh, you know, we were slaves in Egypt and we, we came out of Egypt, the Yahweh delivered us. Well, then why isn't he delivering us now? Why doesn't God deliver us from the Midianites? Why doesn't God do for me what he did for them? But now, the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. So, I'm not a mighty warrior and God's not a mighty God, and it ain't working out, and it's not like it used to be, and I don't even know if I believe all those stories anyway. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. And Gideon's like, Did you not just hear anything I just said? Like, I am not a warrior. I, we've covered that. God hasn't done anything for us lately. <laughs> Like, all right, nothing's going on. So you want me to go and deliver the nation out of the hands of Midian? How's that going to work? And why are you bothering me? And God says, am I not sending you? Am I not sending you? Now, this should be the part of the story where Gideon just like throws down his stuff and he stands up real tall and bold and it's like, yes, you know, and he walks out and something great happens. But this is history, you know, not a, not a fairy tale. He says, pardon me, my Lord. <laughs> Again, how can I save Israel? Okay, My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. Remember, they had split up into 12 tribes. He's like, he's like I'm from the tribe of Manasseh. Like, we're not like one of the, the top tribes. In fact, we're, the, we're, we're not a famous tribe. And I'm from the, the weakest clan in my tribe. And I'm the least in my family. Translated, I went to junior college. <laughs> And I didn't even do all that well. And, you know, like, like I don't have any money and, and I'm barely middle class and I don't know anybody and, and I don't have any promise. I don't even have a girlfriend. And, okay, and, I, and nobody, I don't like nobody. And you come down bothering me and, you know, tell me I'm a mighty warrior and now I'm supposed to go save my entire nation. I'm not like a famous guy. I, we're not, I'm not from a famous tribe even, you know, and our clan's last in the tribe and, and I'm like the bottom of my own family. Then the Lord answered and said, The Lord answered and said, Okay, never mind, I must be at the wrong house. Doesn't say that. Now, this next part is so important. And this is the part where, like, as a pastor, I I just wish like God would do a miracle, and for like 30 seconds, you know, each one of us, starting with me, like he would just open our eyes to see ourselves the way that he sees us, to, to see, you know, like, how cool would that be? I, I think our whole lives would be different. Gideon, do you feel like a warrior? He's like, no, you are. I'm not. You are. I'm not. You are. So Gideon, are you going to believe, who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe like your estimation of you? Or are you going to believe God's estimation of you? What about you? Are you going to believe your estimation 
of you? Let me tell you a little bit about how you view you. See, you view you based on what everybody else around you has told you about you. What if they're wrong? And what if you've been around normal, average people for so long, you've begun to think that you're just normal and average? And what if God sees you differently? And what if you spent your whole life, you know, just going along with what everybody else is doing and saying and living your life the way that everybody else lives and dating the way that they date and spending money the way they spend their money and and dreaming just as little as everybody else dreams? And what if God sees you differently? And this is when I think, God, like if you could just, like for 30 seconds, open our eyes so we could see ourselves the way that you see us, I think that would change just about everything. There's actually a verse in the New Testament and and basically it says in the end we're going to see ourselves the way we really are. We're going to see ourselves the way that God sees us. And actually St. Augustine said that's why there won't be any sin in heaven. It's not that we can't sin. It's that we will see so clearly we will choose freely not to sin. And this is the moment the Lord's going to get in like come on, come on, come on. Like if, if you can see you the way that I see you, you would step out and do something significant in the world. So the Lord answered Gideon, I will be with you. So the question, Gideon, is, and the question, dad and mom, and the question, high school student and college student and retiree, the question is, like, will you be with me? Because I'm with you. And this is why this series is so important because you have the freedom to do what you want, when you want, with whom you want. And you can live the rest of your life, just do what's right in your own eyes and you'll be just like everybody else. But you will miss the opportunity to be the extraordinary you that God created you to be. So here's the defining moment in Gideon's life. God's like, Gideon, I'm not giving you some extraordinary gift. You don't get superpowers. You don't get strength like Samson. I'm not giving you the, you know, class 101, how to defeat the Midianites, you know. Uh, Gideon, I'm just asking you to believe it when I tell you God is with you. Gideon, would you simply like, live like a man who believes that God is with you? That's confident of that? That's all I'm asking. And that's all God's asking of you. He's asking you to believe that God is with you and to simply live your life and make every single decision as a man or a woman who believes that God is with you and in you and for you. And you're like, well, Rob, I'm not Gideon and I'm not in the Bible and no angel. You know, I, I'm not a warrior. And I would say, here's why this is so relevant to you. Because 1,300 years after this story, another Jewish man would write to a group of Christians in Rome. Rome was not a safe place for Christians in the first century because of a man named Nero who hated Christians. And the Roman authorities hated Christians because they worshipped Jesus instead of Caesar. And to this group of persecuted Christians in Rome, the Apostle Paul writes this, and he writes it to all of us. He says, If God is for us, and us is those who have decided to follow Jesus, He says, if God's for us, who can be against us? If God's for us, who can be against us? Same thing that God said to Gideon. Gideon, I know you don't 
think of yourself as a mighty warrior. And I know you, you went to junior college and didn't even graduate. And I know things aren't going well and you're, you're hiding. And I know the last thing you're thinking is mighty warrior. But I'm telling you, I see you differently. And I just want you to step into the way that I see you and step out of the way that you've been viewing yourself all these years because God is with you and God is in you and God is for you. And 1,300 years later, the Apostle Paul says to all of us, the Holy Spirit lives in you and that God is with you and God is for you. So why wouldn't you wake up every day and ask the question, what would an extraordinary person who's me do when they know they have that kind of relationship with God? How do we know God is for us? Listen to what Paul says. He says, if God's for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. He says, you know how you can live every single day in knowing that God is for you? Not by looking around at the Midianites or looking around at culture or looking around at school or at your job. You can wake up every single day with the confidence that God knows your name and loves you and is for you and is in you and is with you because 2,000 years ago, He allowed His Son to pay the price for your sin. That's how valuable you are to God. A little finance, uh, finance 101 for you. The value of a thing is the price it will bring. Okay? If you want to know what something's worth, it's worth what somebody will pay for it. My dad was a collector. Right? I'm a collector. You know, it's like, how much is it worth? Uh, you can look up books and stuff. It's actually worth what somebody's going to pay for it. The value of a thing is the price it will bring. And here's what the Apostle Paul was saying to all of us. You are so valuable to God as a person, as an individual, because the image of God is on you. The Spirit of God is in you. God breathed life into you. You are so valuable to God that He equated you with the price of His Son. Now wake up and live to that kind of value every day. Mighty warrior, I got something for you. Quit looking around. I know I know your history. I know you haven't done well. I know your family history. I know, I know, I know all that. That's how you see you. Here's how I see you. I am in you and with you and for you. Now what are you going to do? How are you going to respond? And the story of Gideon ends like this. So interesting. He is scared to death. I'll let you read the details. But he's going to deliver his people from, from the Midianites. So what he does is he sneaks out and he, uh, he destroys like one idol and then he sneaks back. He's like, okay, how do I do? You know, I got one idol. Okay, you know, check, little, little baby steps. And he takes his first step and then things get going. And this is a fantastic story about a man who was scared to death but just stepped into what God had for him because he decided to believe God is with me. I love what uh, Pastor Stephen Furtick says. He says, it's dangerous to think more highly of yourself than you ought. It's equally as dangerous to think less of yourself than God does. It's dangerous to think more highly of yourself than you ought. It's equally as dangerous to think less of yourself than God does. I think that's true. So would you just like start waking up every day? And whether you plan to do it or not, you just ask the question. You owe it to yourself to ask the question, what would an extraordinary person do? What would an extraordinary you do or an extraordinary version of you do? And if you're a Christian and you've embraced the New Testament and you believe anything about Jesus, what would you do 
if you were confident that God was with you, in you, and for you. Because that's the life you've been invited to. That was the destiny that Israel had been invited to. That was the destiny that, that Samson and Gideon had been invited to. And Samson threw his away because he couldn't keep his eyes off the world around him. Gideon stepped into it. And God used him to do extraordinary things. And my prayer coming into today was like, God, would you just, like, for a moment in time, open our eyes to see through your eyes so we could see ourselves the way that you see us. Men and women who God is in and for and with. And that, that would be the filter through which we run every thought and every decision and every reaction. That we, by, by God's grace, would be extraordinary students and, and parents and fathers, mothers, wives, grandparents. That, that whatever it is, that we would be extraordinary and that you would ask the question, what would somebody who's me do if I was absolutely confident that God was with me and in me and for me? And if that becomes the habit of your life and the filter through which you kind of filter all, all of the decisions, all of your decision making, man, you will become the extraordinary you that your Heavenly Father designed and created you and called you to be. And that's pretty extraordinary. Would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, would you just please in this moment open our eyes Lift our vision off our ordinary and in some cases what we might consider mundane lives away from what everybody else is doing and the way that they're doing it. Would you just please open the eyes of our heart, enlighten our hearts and enlighten our minds so we could just catch a glimpse of how you see us and then give us the courage to step into it and to live that way every day. And now, Father, we pray all these things in the matchless name of Jesus, who loved us so much, he willingly gave his life on our behalf. Amen.